everyone out there in podcast land. Thank you for tuning in today. You're in for a real treat. My guest is actor Juan Alejandro, and he picked 2014 sci-fi mystery Predestination. Check out his link in the description below and see what he's up to. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you don't miss a chance to win some great pop culture and movie-related stuff in our winter giveaway. All you have to do to enter to win is to like, comment, and share three of our different social media posts. That's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram before March 1st. A winner will be picked random live on our YouTube channel on March 27th. Terms and conditions apply. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. But enough about that. On with the show. So, welcome to Gutsy Media Podcast, because movies are our life. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. Really glad to be here. Really excited to kind of start today and see how it goes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we usually start the podcast off by talking about how we came to the movie that we are talking about. Um, typically, I like to let my guests pick any movie they want. Um, you want to go into a little bit of detail about how we got to Predestination? Yeah. Um, well, we actually, um, when I was coming down to picking of a movie, I wasn't really sure what to pick because, you know, pick a movie to talk about. And if I have one movie out of every movie I've ever seen, what movie am I going to pick, you know? Um, but so I figured thinking, what are some of my interests? What are movies I like to try to break down and talk about? Like where me and my friends get together and just have movie sessions. And time travel has always been one of my biggest things. Like uh, the movie Project Almanac, I don't know if you guys have seen that, the way it's jumping around there. Other older movies like Timeline, Time Machine, like it's just always captured my attention, the paradox of, of the movies they create. So as we were kind of breaking down how that concept flowed, you actually brought up that you had never seen this movie either. I looked it up and realized, you know, this kind of fits right into what I'm feeling. So let's watch something new because... Why why go over something I've seen already? Let's have a fun experience breaking out a brand new movie that neither of us have seen so we can hit that fresh take on what really settled. So, yeah, I'm ready. A- absolutely. So, so Predestination is what we picked. Uh, 2014, 2015, excuse me, uh, film starring Ethan Hawke. Uh, I had never seen it. I've seen a couple previews or a couple, you know, mentions of it in, in like various videos that I might have checked out. So I added it to my list of movies I wanted to watch and... Uh, yeah, when you brought up time travel or, or sci-fi in general, it seemed like it really fit the bill. So, um, I did. I mean, didn't disappoint. I hope. Yeah. Um, ultimately, the goal of our podcast here today is to determine if this was a good movie. And as I always say, uh, that question is subject to one's interpretation. Whether you want to look at it from a cinematic standpoint, you know, did it have good uh, cinematography, soundtrack? acting, um, directorial uh, insight, and so on. Or if you just look at it from a storyline uh, or a story uh, standpoint, did it tell a good story? Was it entertaining? Uh, completely up to you, but that's ultimately the goal we're going after is, was it a good movie? So, uh, I mean, just starting right off the bat, opening scene, we got a guy in what appears to be like a boiler room almost. I mean, I don't think it was a boiler room, but it's very, you know, pipes and and stuff. Uh, it's kind of this gave me the feel of like that closing boat scene in um, uh, the the usual suspects where it's like trench coat hat. It's dark. You don't really know what you're looking at or who you're looking at. And uh, there's a there's a minor explosion 
which leaves the character uh, to which we have not seen their face with with heavy burn. I mean, the, their face is on fire, really. Now, I want to interject here, as you mentioned, like, before we even get to that explosion, the fact that we don't see that character's face. Like, I like the, the subtleness of those shots. It wasn't over the top that they were hiding him from us. But it was just, oh, that's just how the angle is. We just happened not to see him. I didn't feel like it was obvious that they were hiding him. It was it was subtly played that this is just how it happens to be for the scene. So I kind of like that, that ease in and an entry level of kind of not knowing what's really going on without having a real reason to doubt it. Yeah, that's that's well put because there are going to be scenes later on that we talk about where I do feel that it almost does appear intentional that you're not seeing somebody's face. Um, whereas this scene, like you said, it, you don't you don't get that. You're watching this and you just kind of get like, okay, there's a, there's an explosion and the face is is burned pretty excessively. Um, while the person's on the ground, kind of writhing in pain and and putting out the flames attached to their face, uh, there is uh, somebody else kind of walks in. You only see like legs and feet and kind of moves this uh, briefcase towards the person who's on fire, who manages to take it and uh, you know poof disappears. And you get kind of the general sense that the person that we're watching, um, who winds up being kind of the central point of the story, is he, he, they work for an agency, uh, a time travel agent, if you will, who goes throughout time and stops or alters these major events that have taken place or, or shouldn't take place or whatever. It's not... It's not kind of like um, the what's that movie with Matt Damon? Oh, this is gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> where he plays like the guy who has to travel through time to like, um, you know, it, it's not even important. It's not even that that so much that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help. I can't think of it. I'm trying. <laughs> well, I mean, you've seen a lot of time travel movies. It's that typical trope that uh, they, they work for some sort of underground agency that's out to fix the timeline. You don't really mm-hmm. get that sense. This mm-hmm. is more like, you know, what would happen if, if we, maybe the United States uh, discovered time travel and wanted to kind of mess with time. I think, and uh, what comes to mind of what your comparison I think is going for is kind of like in the umbrella Academy, how they yeah. had a super built time travel organization. Oh, this is like, okay, this smaller organization is still trying to figure it out. So I guess early, 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 early stages of what Umbrella Academy time travel company could have been. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't get the sense that this is a, a coordinated, you know, hundreds of agents type thing. It does seem small and contained and, and maybe still somewhat trying to figure it out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next scene is you're following this burn victim as they get their face, their face, you know, reconstruct it. And uh, when they remove the bandages, you see Ethan Hawke. And he makes kind of an off-the-cuff remark uh, that, you know, he's unrecognizable. He also, there's a couple of remarks made by the doctor that his voice is going to be different or his posture may be different based on the wounds he's sustained. Um, And then, so this is all happening in the first 10 or or 15 minutes of the movie. And you you get kind of like a quick rundown of, he works for this agency and he's one of their best agents, and he has built a career more or less around stopping this guy from setting this bomb um, that that he ultimately failed at in the opening scene. This is the fizzle bomber, um, as he's known in the newspapers. 
Now, one thing that I do want to highlight is like in some of the detail and, and what it makes you start thinking about before you even learn anything. Because the burn victim, as soon as he comes conscious again after that accident, he looks at signs right above his face. As soon as he wakes up, it's what he sees. And I think it's interesting the words they say. The first one says, never do yesterday what should be done tomorrow. And the other one says, if at last you do succeed, never try again. Now, after watching the movie, I had to rewatch it because I wanted to see what I missed the first time through. And that was something that really hit me after the fact. And if, if you work at a time travel company, waking up in a med bay, yeah, med, let's not try to do something that can wait for the future. That's meant to happen. I don't have to change something that I can do later on. But if you make it work, don't, don't, don't screw it up now. Yeah, don't Leave mess it alone. With yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, these are great. They're, they're alterations of very famous quotes and they do kind of put them in the context of time travel um, and, and the importance of that. The other, the other thing I really took away from this scene is when they remove the bandages and you see Ethan Hawke, it's Ethan Hawke's face, but obviously he has no hair. It's been burned off and he's got some pretty heavy scar lines around the upper kind of uh, hairline, if you will. Now, I had known previously to watching this that Ethan Hawke was the star of the movie. Obviously, it's in the trailers. It's on the movie posters. So when I'm revealed with Ethan Hawke's face, I'm not shocked. I'm kind of thinking like, oh, okay. I mean, obviously, he's got some pretty bad scarring. But all in all, his face looks fine from the burns he sustained. And way, mm -hmm. go ahead. Like my th and like to your to your point, like yeah, it it, it kind of seemed like it was a face off situation to me, where he had another face sewn onto his face. So you you picked up on that immediately. That that's what I kind of felt like. Not because if you even look around the eyes, it looked like there there was a layer of skin on skin. So that's kind of what I thought it it felt like there. See, I I saw that, and my my thought was. Ethan Hawke doesn't look that bad for what he just went through. I didn't, okay. I didn't really, I guess I didn't really assume that he had gotten a, a full face transplant. Um, and which would ultimately work out on my benefit. Cause again, as the movie goes on, you'll understand why, why that scene is kind of subtly hinting at a full face transplant, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It didn't, it didn't lead to a reveal of anything down the line. Like I was still super surprised. Like when, <laughs> when we get there, but at the least other thing that... I, the, the other thing I really love about these types of movies, the time travel movies is especially knowing that time travel is an element going into it. You don't know what to believe because mm -hmm. you, you know, there's going to be some big twist or reveal or overlapping timelines and stuff but you don't know where you don't really know what to believe. And I, I love, I love that. I love, I'm a big noir fan. I'm a big mystery fan. And I like watching a movie and kind of questioning every scene of what are they showing me that they're not showing me? See that that's one of the things I, I like how you mentioned how it, it's just one of the things that drive me crazy about movies is especially the time travel movies is that you could fall in love with something that you think they're showing you and then it turns out something happens on the line that everything you saw no longer really ever happened. Right. So like, it, yeah, it's great, but oh, it drives me up a wall. <laughs> Love to see it, but I hate it at the same time. So, so the next scene takes up about 40 minutes of the movie. And I will say that this is kind of where the movie hits a little bit of a lull, but it's done very purposefully. 
uh, Ethan Hawke, you assume, is going back on his next mission. He is now a bartender. Uh, you find out through the course of conversation that he's been working as a bartender for about two weeks. And in you know he's, he's kind of by himself, working behind the bar, a couple customers, no big deal. And he pulls off the whole bartender kind of attitude very well. And uh, in walks a, a gentleman, sits at the counter, orders a drink. They exchange a couple snotty remarks. Uh, the, the customer is not very, um, the, the, his guy's name is John. Not very, you know, warming to the bartender. He's actually kind of a prick to, to begin with. But they go back and forth enough where Ethan Hawke kind of can get him to kind of open up a little bit. And uh, they, they start talking. And John says something to the extent of, you know, I got I got a story that that will knock your sock up, socks off. Or I, I got, you know, my story is one of the craziest stories you're ever going to hear. And Ethan Hawke bets him a bottle of what he's drinking um, that it's not. So the next 40 minutes is John telling the story. And the opening line to John's story is back when I was a little girl Mm -hmm. and Ethan Hawks kind of caught off guard, but lets it pass. No big deal. So John was born Jane, uh, orphan, uh, dropped off at the orphanage by presumably her parents, um, unwanted. She grows up in the orphanage, doesn't really fit in, um, is more aggressive than a lot of the other characters, a lot of the other uh, children. Uh, tomboyish. She describes herself as tomboyish, secluded, no real friends. Um, doesn't have any inter- interactions with, with people of the opposite sex as she grows up, leaves the orphanage. Um, I forgot. Does she get like a job before the Academy? I don't. Hmm. I don't think so. No, because I think she was just finishing off school, and then it was right afterwards. That That's right. Connected. Yeah. So, so while she's in school, or the or the orphanage, or, or whatever. Ooh, ooh. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. She was mm-hmm. that state, the like the living ner- the living maid, the she helped the house mother. Well, that comes after. So, so I think first, if I remember right. Um, there's a gentleman that comes to the orphanage. Uh, this gentleman's played by Noah Taylor, very mm. famous actor. He's been in a ton of different things, very distinct face, um, but an almost famous Vanilla Sky, Life Aquatic. Um, I'm trying to think of what other big movies. He's always kind of the guy in the background. Uh, he's in Peaky Blinders, if you ever watched that. It's a great uh, TV series. If you haven't, mm-hmm. I recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but anyway, so he shows up. And he basically says, I work for an organization that likes to hire people who are extremely intelligent and extremely physical. And you seem to fit that bill. So will you come try out? So she does. And he's, he's very upfront that it's, it's a, uh, like a space program. Um, she's shown some interest in being in space, although the, the story, or at least her early part of the story is set in like the fifties. So females aren't given a big step forward in the space program. And she hopes to be kind of like one of the first female astronauts or something along those lines. Well, during her, uh, training, if you will, she's given a medical exam and the doctors uncover something and they mention it to Noah Taylor's character who basically says, this is going to disqualify her. Let me tell her. And he just more or less tells her that she's out that she's disqualified, she's not in, but doesn't tell her why. Uh, and 
I think at this point, I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm kind of, I, I know why. As the audience watching this, it's very evident that she's she's got to be a hermaphrodite, mm-hmm. um, somebody who has both female and male genitalia. Yeah. Or, or at least you're also, it's also alluded to the fact that she doesn't know this. So maybe it's just internally, um, but the movie thankfully doesn't go into too much detail. Not that it's really needed. I think it would have taken away a little bit from the story. Um, it's meant to be in there just as, so you're aware as the audience member, this is something that is going on. Were you, were you, did you pick up on that? I, and it, the fact that it started off with him saying when I was a little girl kind of led me to believe there may be something kind of along those lines happening. And then with her just talking about naturally being different, not really being attracted to sex in the same way as the other kids. It was like, okay. And it did kind of suddenly kind of show you that, okay, she is different. And if you know, you clearly understand that she would have been a hermaphrodite, at least in some level that whether she didn't know, like your point being internally more so than externally. Right. So, she she leaves the program. I think it's at this point where she gets the job kind yep. of, you know, as a maid or live-in type of housekeeper. Um, the person whose house she works at reads all these little uh, true confession type girly magazines, which this is kind of a side story throughout the movie is, is she eventually becomes a writer for these magazines. Um, but it's not it doesn't really play any importance to the plot whatsoever. I'm not really sure why they put this in there. I think it was more so maybe to kind of humanize the character. You start seeing her story, her interests, things that she likes, and they're able to kind of tie back subtly to that typewriting hobby passion as the character develops. So yeah, I that's think true. she had a passion made me want to root for her a little bit more. Do your hobby, do your thing, girl, you know? Yeah, so so Jane, who is is the girl. Uh, is played by Sarah Snook. Uh, mm-hmm. She's not really in much anything else after or before this. Uh, she's a pretty good actress. I mean, she plays both Jane and John. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she does a pretty good job. Yeah, I thought she was great. It took me, at first, when I saw John at the beginning, I'm like, okay, features, maybe just like a softer, younger person. You know, young boys sometimes don't always grow um, more facial features or stronger kind of indented features. But then, like, it was after the fact, I even had to look up in IMDb, wait, did she play both parts? Because she actually did very well, I feel, kind of keeping them, even though the same person, individual characters. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. They have they have very distinct personalities, it seems like. I mean, with enough subtleties in between them where you can see where they are similar enough to be the same person, but also distinct enough where you get the sense that John's been through some shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Jane works as kind of a housekeeper for a little while. She winds up bumping into somebody um, really in a happenstance that she hits it off with. They go out for a couple of drinks, eventually start dating and uh, wind up seeing each other for, I think it's supposed to be two years in the movie, uh, but it it seems more like six to eight months, I guess, and kind of what they're showing you. Um, Because remember, she's telling this story. So, this entire life story that she's telling takes place over a course of 40 minutes. So it's very quick. Um, this is really what I was alluding to in the past where the gentleman she bumps into, they don't ever show his face and it seemed very intentional, which led me to believe this is obviously somebody that we've seen already. Now, see my first instinct was that the man who she, uh, 
who she loved was was the main character. I I I kind of thought that too. Um, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that I thought it was somebody we, we saw already. I thought it was definitely going to be a big reveal at some point. At some point in time, we're going to see his face, and it's going to be a big reveal. There's also a lot of conversation, and it's worth noting. Initially, before uh, Jane starts telling her story, she shares this kind of dialogue with Ethan Hawke's character that they they talk about the fizzle bomber because at this point he's done a couple different explosives, and um, and and people are on alert, and they they share this back and forth where where John says something to the effect of you know. Some sometimes people deserve it almost. There's like there's like some sympathy. I don't want to say sympathy, but there's some um like uh, it's like full support. Like yeah. I wouldn't really say sympathy. Like people deserve what they get. Like I I I thought it could have been John at this moment. Like 100%. it felt real heavy pointed. Like it's you, bro. A hundred percent. That that was my thought too, because again, I'm thinking Ethan Hawke's on a mission to find the fizzle bomber. He's obviously engaging with this person for a reason. She's a large, he's a large part of the story. This must be the fizzle bomber. And we're getting some backstory on where the fizzle bomber came from. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, uh, Jane has run into this guy. They hit it off. They date for a little while. She gets pregnant. Now, before you find out she gets pregnant, the gentleman that she is dating basically ups and vanishes. She says, you know, they're in a park, they're on a bench, and he says, I'll be right back. He gets up and leaves and never comes back. She finds out she's pregnant. Um, because of this, she basically has to, you know, she's she's very upset with the fact that he's gone. Uh, it's another mark on her life that has not gone the way she wanted it to and is is ultimately adding to the bitterness she feels towards people and life in general. She has a very complicated birth and ends up needing some additional medical assistance. That medical assistance leads to the doctor basically saying, listen, you got two sets of internal organs. Your female set was so messed up from the delivery, from the birth that we had to take them out. Luckily, um, because you had the, the male set, we were able to kind of, you know, rewire things a little bit and um, you are going to live the rest of your life as a healthy uh, male. Now, not ideal to say the least, you know, I, I couldn't imagine being told halfway through your life, you know, you're, you're now going to be of the opposite sex, but I guess silver lining here. Well, like, and and this and I'm like and I'm not a doctor so I don't I don't understand how <laughs> most things in the human body work but like I didn't it kind of took me out to wonder why does she have to be like a full on man cuz like there's hermaphrodites I'm sure out there who have both parts and still live full functioning lives so it just kind of felt forced like now you have to go through all these surgeries this procedure, everything to become a man now again this was back in what the 70s 50s yeah, I think like, at this I mean, point it's like 55, 60, somewhere around there. So at the time, I'm sure, okay, now thinking about it that way, the culture back then was totally different, that they didn't abide by any of that. So they would have forced her to, okay, now you have to do what you have to do. See, so I didn't get that sense. I, I didn't get the sense that it was, you know, we we chose this for you. I got the sense that it was like, 
by the time we realized this, your female parts were already too badly damaged to keep. So by default, you have to be a man now because like I, I'm getting the sense that from this point on, she is no longer a hermaphrodite. She is a man, period. There is no more female okay. parts to her. Um, but I, I could be wrong in my interpretation. Either way, she gets some more surgeries. She gets her breasts removed. Um, there's some serious scarring on her chest, which is evident later on in the movie as well. And she has this very awkward scene where she's attempting to like deepen her voice um, and how she talks. And, and she even, you know, does a voiceover as she's explaining the story to Ethan Hawke about how she had to like choose a different way of speaking and a way of, of standing and sitting and, and so on and so forth. I will say she did a very good job. Like the actress at, at making me not only care about the character, but caring about the emotional struggle that she was going through in this moment. Like I was on her side, like feeling it with her. Like, I, I just want to give note to her. Cause I thought that was great in this scene. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think this scene is awesome. I think the issue I have with, with the Jane John character is that you're led to believe that she has had a extremely rough life, mm-hmm. orphaned, uh, not, not many friends, kicked out of the, the space program that she wanted to really be a part of, left by her significant other, um, forced to change sexes midlife. In addition to that, her child is kidnapped. I shouldn't even say kidnapped, outright stolen from the hospital days after being born. Mm-hmm. Um, so she has had, to say the least, a very rough life up until this point where she is now John. John says, great, now I'm a guy, so now I can go back to the space program that I was excelling at and see if they'll take me back. He goes back. Uh, they basically say no, and he continues on and, and does some writing um, for a magazine, for the True Confession magazine, which leads him into the bar to meet Ethan Hawke. So we're now taken back to the bar out of out of this 40 minute long flashback. And Ethan Hawke tells John, what if I could put him in front of you? What what? What if I could put him in front of you? The guy that ruined your life, the guy that knocked you up and caused the 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 birth, the sex change, the, the basically everything after that. What if I could put him in front of you and I could guarantee that you'd get away with it? Would you kill him? Fat Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com, the only place to travel geekly. Focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. DFAT Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with DFAT Comics. John's like, absolutely, in a heartbeat. So like, that's a wild question right that, there. Like, well, I mean, I'm assuming that from John's perspective, this is hypothetical. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course I'd kill him. You know, you're not expecting what's going to happen next. I guess my question is, as an audience member, when you're watching this, do you do you think what do you think when this is this conversation is happening? It was it was kind of like I didn't know if he was serious or not at this moment because like your point yeah it's a joke oh could I do it do it but the fact that he is a time traveler 
kind of opens the door to any possibility. So I was, I was kind of curious to see where they would actually take it. And it was interesting to see as like the movie would progress, the, the sudden change in tempo as things like, all right, now it's time to start making moves. So I didn't realize it. I didn't expect it, I would say, to to move that quickly once decisions had been made. That is very well put. So so I'm watching this. I'm assuming that at this point I've already cracked the movie. Um, <laughs> you know, clearly John is the fizzle bomber. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan Hawke is there to stop him and uh, you know, otherwise kill him or, or something. And then when Ethan Hawke says that, I'm like, wait a minute. Is like is he gonna help John or is how is how is this storyline gonna play out? You know, how is Ethan Hawke going to do this for for John Jane and and had that play into the master plan of you know getting rid of the fizzle bomber but like you said this is the point where things start moving very quickly and the the director or the writers on this uh, or the producers all the same people two brothers um the Michael and Peter Smearig the Smearig brothers they are the directors and writers on this movie Um, they start piecing things together very quickly for you. So Ethan Hawke escorts John to the basement of this bar and proceeds to tell him very quickly, I'm a time traveler. I can take you back in time and you can see this guy. And, you know, while he's saying this, they're, they're doing it. They're having the actions. He pulls out the briefcase, you know, spirals the thing to the specific date and time. Now, I just want to point out that the briefcase looks like a violin case. So just, this movie just messed me up. I'm never going to trust anyone ever <laughs> walking down the street with a violin case because I'm assume they're time travelers. I, I love that. I love that <laughs> they didn't go with a typical briefcase. There's no reason whatsoever for them to go with a violin case. They don't mention why. There is no violin. There's no hint at somebody playing a violin. It's just that that was just a subtle little thing they put in there, and I really liked it. So he does a little knobby turny thing. They they go back in time. They they're in a warehouse. Uh, he Ethan Hawke immediately starts changing his clothes. He throws John some clothes, throws John some money, throws John a gun, and basically says, "Listen, the organization that you wanted to be a part of so many years ago that's this organization. It's not space. It's time. It's time travel. This is your tryouts. You go kill him. I'll pick you up afterwards, and." If everything goes well, you'll be you'll be, you know, the new member of the of the secret society, if you will. So John's like, cool. All right. I know where he's going to be. He's going to go meet Jane right now. So I'll go there and and see him and and make this happen. Well, Jane is there. She is leaving a class. She bumps into John. And they had the exact same exchange that Jane alluded to in her flashback. And that moment. Wow. Wow. It is. It's that's that. This is, (laughs) I don't, I, this is the first puzzle piece of what will be a very tremendous puzzle that we're about to build. So I'm going to give you a moment to let that sink in. And then we're going to build on it. Any Anything, what, what's going through your mind right now? I was wondering, like, 
they're having the exact conversation. Like, there's no way that Jane would remember. Well, I guess she remembered the first words, but to remember every conversation ever had. Like, I'm just thinking, how is, how, like, what? Oh, it was. Yeah, I'm just. I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> it's crazy. It's because when they when they had that exchange, which you've already watched. Um, because again, Jane re- recited it in the flashback, but you didn't see the guy's face. It immediately gets pieced together. Like this is the guy. This mm-hmm. is the guy. And then you know you, you you gloss over the fact that they eventually have a kid, which is a little odd. But um, so presumably Jane and John go on to have their romance. While that is happening, Ethan Hawke then takes the briefcase and hey, he has a couple things he needs to do too. He is going to without. Um, Without being assigned this mission, he's going to go take a stab at the Fizzle Bomber real quick, seeing as he has some time to kill. He goes to where the Fizzle Bomber is is planning this device, shows up at the time the device is going off and setting fire to his own face. And he decides that he's going to help himself by sliding himself the violin case so that he can get out of that area um, while you know his face is being melted off. So again, now we're watching the opening scene from a different angle where Ethan Hawke is helping Ethan Hawke get out of the burn area. Another another timeline overlap. Very interesting. He then goes back. Do, do you, anything you want to say about that one? Like... <laughs> oh, I just... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'll come back to me. Come back to me. <laughs> it's it's a lot to take in. You're watching this and you're seeing all these timelines overlap. That that's why there's a lot of ways that directors and writers can screw up this sort of concept of time travel. It's a very difficult concept to lay out and to pull off well because of all the overlaps and because you want to give enough to the audience to to pull them in. And and have them interested in the story while not giving too much away and and having these kind of reveals, but things that maybe you've seen already. It's it's a very difficult thing to do. And and I think this is done very well. So let me pose a question to you. In this specific scene, do you think it's Ethan Hawk's fault that Ethan Hawk got his face burnt? That's a really great question. I mean, that is that is such a philosophical question. You know, I mean, it's it reminds me of the scene in Matrix where where she says, you know, he um, Neo goes to visit the Oracle, and the Oracle says, "Don't worry about that." And he says, "Don't worry about what?" And why by saying that he knocks over the vase that breaks, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." Wait, how did how did you know I was going to do that? And the Oracle replies with, "The real question is, would you have done it if I didn't say anything?" Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of those. I mean, it this that that type of question goes back to the beginning of man. Is there <laughs> is it free will or is it is it predestination? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Ethan Hawke then goes back to pick up John. Um, he sees John in the park with Jane, and immediately this sense of of just frustration and shock comes over me because John sees Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawk calls him over. John says to Jane, I'll be right back. And and it it came full circle and I didn't like it 
<laughs> I was hoping I'd understand why he left, and now it's just now oh, I know why, and I kind of wish I hadn't because I'm still not happy. <laughs> and and that's when John has a conversation with Ethan Hawke, where he basically tells Ethan, you know, go fuck yourself. You set me up. You you did this to me. You you knew this the whole time. I'm not leaving her. I love her. She deserves better. She deserves somebody. Uh, and what's amazing about this is. Again, Jane is such a complicated character, doesn't have a lot of friends. Of course, the only person she can connect with is herself. And and John is so hurt and destroyed by the love lost that the only person that you know he can bond with is Jane, who he's going to want to protect and heal and make sure never to hurt. So when they're having this exchange, I'm wondering what in God's name gets John to leave? Because at this point, he's like, there's no way I'm leaving. There's nothing you could say or do to get me to leave. And Ethan Hawke basically says, this, this is just the beginning. This is the first step. This, you've, you've now understood who you are. You need to understand who I am. And it's like, <sighs> I mean, just sparks coming out of my head. Yeah. This, is, this is where the movie gets insane. So... Ethan Hawke takes John to the secret government hideout or I don't know, the, the headquarters and basically says, okay, now you're an agent, you know, you're going to go on your first mission. And they have this kind of scene where, you know, uh, she gets the suit on. It's almost like the, the Will Smith men in black scene, you know, mm-hmm. not, not quite as over dramatized, but <laughs> while this is happening, uh, Ethan Hawke, grabs a hold of the briefcase and um, he goes on a little side quest. He is then approached by uh, Noah Taylor's character who is sort of the, the manager mentor uh, of this organization. Um, and they have a, a quick little exchange in a hallway area of, of what appears to be some sort of uh, hospital or not hospital, but like office or, or I don't know. They're just, they're in a hallway. And you learn that Ethan Hawke is close to retirement. Um, when an agent retires, they're able to really go anywhere and and, and kind of stop and, and settle there and, and be there and no longer time travel. You also find out that the time travel allows you to go plus or minus 53 years from the time where time travel was invented, which is like 1987 or 88 or something like that. Which is an odd number. Can we just say random? <laughs> like, just, all right. Just, okay. This is the limits of time travel. Cool. I, Thanks. So I actually appreciate the fact they didn't do like a solid 50 years because they'd be like too coincidental. But it's, it's 53 years, plus or minus 53 years. Um, you also okay. find out that this whole time travel organization was created because of the Fizzle Bomber. Because the Fizzle Bomber was doing some stuff and it let a, a it, there's one massive explosion that killed, you know, a couple thousand people. And that led the organization to kind of look into how that could have been prevented, which led to the invention of time travel and so on. It's kind of like that. They say it's like, I'm gonna butcher this phrasing, but it's a lot of the lines of people don't grow until they're forced to. Right. So this organization wasn't able to build to the level it's at unless the fizzle bomber had been there to make them rise to the occasion. Exactly. Um, so Ethan Hawke has one last thing he needs to do before he retires, at which point he plans on retiring 
to New York City, which is the location of the final bomb from the Fizzle Bomber. And he's going to retire there, I think it's like five years before the, the bomb happens. Um, Noah Taylor's character gives him a file, says, you know, this is basically the only clue that we have towards the Fizzle Bomber. And it's like a dry cleaning receipt or something. So he takes the file. Noah Taylor leaves. Ethan Hawke then proceeds to go through the door in the hallway, which leads into the uh, baby unit of the hospital. The nursery? The nursery, thank you. Um, (laughs) Where he takes the child and Mm -hmm. leaves. Times travels 20-something years in the past where he drops the child off at the orphanage. What? Yep. So John is Jane. John and Jane have baby. Baby is Jane. You ever see you ever see a Futurama? Philip Fry, he's his own grandfather. Yeah. This is kind of what came to mind, but it's it's he's his mother and it's like he's the mother, father, and the child. Like they're them. It's all, it's everything. It's what? What? crazy paradox it's a forced paradox that it is what it is and it can't ever not be full full loop it's unbelievable it's it's really wild but we're not done no not at all not Not at all (laughs) so ethan hawk retires he goes to new york city um while he's having this montage of retirement setting himself up in an apartment uh, he, he, there's a couple of clips of him drinking some coffee, reading the newspaper. During that montage, you also have a montage of John getting his nice suit on and going on his first mission. His first mission is to find the Fizzle Bomber. He is able to locate the Fizzle Bomber and exchanges some gunfire with the Fizzle Bomber. Um, the Fizzle Bomber leaves. It, it managed to elude him. At which point he finds the device, attempts to defuse it, it ignites, and burns his face off. And we're back around on this crazy train. What? Yeah, full circle <laughs> again. So, so I'm not. We're we're gonna recap in a second. Let's just let's just throw out the ending. <laughs> the ending. Ethan Hawke is attempting to investigate the Fizzle Bomber uh, in retirement. He does a full Sherlock Holmes and figures out that the Fizzle Bomber is going to be in this exact place at this exact time because of the receipts. He goes there to the dry cleaners like after dark. He opens the door, and he finds the Fizzle Bomber sitting there. The Fizzle Bomber is a long-haired, bearded, Ethan Hawke. I hope you were sitting down for that. <laughs> yeah. And at first you're like, wait, what? But then Ethan Hawke explains that uh, you, you, I, I actually over, I, I did not mention something earlier that I probably should have. You, you find out in the exchange between Ethan Hawke and Noah Taylor that time travel, doing it too excessively can really mess with your head a little bit. So when Ethan Hawke retires uh, and takes his, you know, his final violin case to New York City, it's supposed to decommission, but it doesn't. Um, it actually remains active. So when he finally comes across the Fizzle Bomber at the end, 
uh, Fizzle Bomber Ethan Hawke tells regular Ethan Hawke, basically, you went on additional missions. You went on several additional missions with your your uh, stolen violin case. And because of these other bombs that the Fizzle Bomber has set, it might have killed, you know, a couple people, a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people, but it saved hundreds of thousands because the people that have died in these explosions that the fizzle bomber has set did not then go on to do these awful things that they would have otherwise done. And he's showing him newspaper clippings that he has gotten from other time periods of these horrific things. And he's explaining to him, you know, this, this train derailment didn't happen because the conductor who was too tired wound up dying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the fizzle bomber explains to him, you have a choice. You can kill me, which will set you on this course to become me. Or we can live together in harmony and, and, and change the, the story. I just love the line he says there. He's like, or you could learn to love me again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, I, I should learn to love myself again. Why not? Right. <laughs> and, and and kudos to Ethan Hawke, because up until this point in the movie, Ethan Hawke is playing Ethan Hawke. I mean, he plays really the same character in all his movies. Really calm, cool, collected. Um, the, the fizzle bomber, Ethan Hawke, he doesn't appear crazy. He appears a little off, a little deranged, you know, but you don't get the sense that he's completely lost touch with reality. You get the sense that there, there, there might still be something in there. And I, I mean, obviously like any great villain, he's doing these things because he feels that they're the right thing to do. I mean, it goes back to that classic qu- question from swordfish. If you could, if you could kill one person to save a thousand, would you do it? And it's a it's a hard question to answer. Well, Ethan Hawke eventually shoots him, and and the movie more or less comes to a close. But now now we need to recap. Okay, so now we need, we got to recap. We got baby Jane left at the orphanage, grows up to become Jane, who eventually meets a guy and gets pregnant. Then becomes John because of the sex surgery who then goes back in time to become the guy that Jane sleeps with to have the baby who becomes baby Jane. John goes on to become Ethan Hawke who then becomes the fizzle bomber who then spurs the creation of the time travel agency, which then leads to Ethan Hawke being able to take baby Jane back to become Jane, setting the, the, the whole story in motion. What? <laughs> it's like if you try to loop it back, it's which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which is, is Ethan Hawke there? What? Yeah. Which, is, which is made reference to several times in the movie. The other thing that I picked up on immediately is that there is a scene when... John and Ethan Hawke are talking in the bar before he's even telling his backstory where he's trying to light a cigarette and he can't get the lighter to work. And Ethan Hawke pulls out a lighter to light the cigarette for him. And it's the same lighter. I didn't catch that. And I noticed that. And I was like, that's weird. And my first thought is again, Ethan Hawke is there to catch the fizzle bomber. I'm thinking like, Oh, it must be like a a lighter he picked up at a crime scene or something that, and that led into 
John's got to be the fizzle bomber. Um, but if you go back and watch it again, it's the same golden lighter that he's using, which is weird. Such a crazy movie, such a yeah. crazy movie. Before we before we go on to answer the question, was it a good movie? I do have some some things that can help us figure that out. Okay. So uh, we have developed three questions that we ask all of our guests, and um, those three questions pertain to this movie, 2015 uh, Predestination. So without further ado, let's play three questions. Okay, question number one. What was the message of the film, and do you agree with it? I think for me, the message of the film is that some things are meant to happen. Like, you can make alterations to it, because even they mentioned that the Fizzle Bomber has changed the date of his final explosion based on them trying to catch him. So you, But I guess it says that life has a certain way of ending. And I guess for me, I don't like that concept. I always like to believe that I am in charge of my own fate. Even though I love these kind of movies, I still just want to fight the perception that my destiny is not predestined. Okay. All right. Uh, Question number two, how did the movie leave you feeling and was it intentional? It left me with a fun kind of chill. Like seeing at the end, because one thing we didn't mention was that the very last scene shows Ethan Hawke's face coming to the realization that, okay, we're going to do this. Like he commits. So it's like a, ooh, okay, I felt myself kind of grinning to that. Like this, I want to see a part two of the Fizzle Bomber in action. This was basically the Fizzle Bomber's origin story. Ooh, I didn't think of it like that. That's very well put. I, I wonder, like, is this one of those movies where... You could just start watching it again at the end and just, you know, have it loop. But instead, the second time around, you're watching the fizzle bomber in the background set these bombs. And it's kind of like, that's that's a really well put. It's his origin story. Okay, question number three. What is the most important sequence in the movie? I think the more so, do you mean like most important like scene section? Just however you want to interpret the question. I think it's the moment John meets Jane. Because you have you have kind of glimpses of of the bigger picture. Okay, I think this is it. I think that's it. But the moment you see them connect, the clearer picture starts coming into view, and it leads the way for the bigger reveal at the end. So I just I think that moment right there, everything leading up to it, more so the flashbacks to it, and then finally seeing it, would have been the biggest, the most important piece. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I For me, it's a struggle between two two different scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, this movie is really two loops, if you will. It, it, you had the Jane John loop in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- that whole with the baby and, and that, that whole thing. I mean, it's really the first half of the movie. And I, I, I agree with you. I think when Jane bumps into John, that's the most important sequence of that half of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think the second half of the movie is really the Ethan Hawke fizzle bomber loop. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the most important sequence of that half or, or that kind of um, movie is the reveal at the end where he walks in and sees himself. Um, and again, to, to me, that's one of the best scenes in the movie is 
Ethan Hawke, who I don't think is a great actor, I think he's a good actor. He does such a great job playing the Fizzle Bomber, even though you only see him for maybe five minutes of screen time, mm-hmm. because he's able to play this borderline. I mean, it's not it's not a Joker type performance. He's not completely broken from reality. He is very coherent. He's very. Um, it's very apparent that he's doing this for a reason, a reason that he thinks is good, but he does seem a little off. I mean, obviously he's got the longer hair, the beard. He seems a little, a little crazy, but not, not deranged. I think it's like a sense of, of hyper sanity. Like he's so overly aware of the fact that we are just meat carcasses run by bone systems that none of it really matters. He can sacrifice the few for the bigger amount, because in the end, none of it still really matters. Do you think that Ethan Hawke as the fizzle bomber at that, at that point in his life, do you think he sees the irony in the fact that he, he, his actions have led to the creation of this time travel agency? I don't think he well could no. Well, he even says part of one of the things he says is along the lines, I've been able to save more people this way than throughout than within the agency so i don't think it really matters to him at that point he's doing what he feels is right yeah that's that's such a good movie um i mean well that that, that's my answer i mean yeah the the three questions um the the plot summary uh was this a good movie notice the movie yeah i would say yes and and the loops like you mentioned the two loops this movie moves in the infinity symbol yeah Back and forth forever. Those two loops are going to cycle forever into infinity. So I like that layout at the end. Yeah, I think a lot of these movies, um, a prime example that comes to mind is Primer. Um, a lot of these movies can be really hard to kind of get your mind around. It can be hard to understand. Um, I know when I watched Primer, I had to watch it and then I had to look up like another hour and a half worth of stuff online just to kind of comprehend what happened. And that's such an easy thing to do when it comes to these time travel movies because of the paradoxes and the overlapping storylines. But in this movie, I didn't have that issue. I I understood what happened. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very good, very well laid out. And it wasn't so complex where my brain hurt, but it wasn't so (laughs) easy to understand where it was like, oh, that was kind of stupid. Um, I, I think it was a very good movie. Yeah, I agree. You knew things without knowing all of it, and you still felt good about what you thought you knew, because, oh, I'm one up in the movie. But right. nope, surprise, <laughs> there was another twist. So yeah, I agree. Thank you for this. This was great. No problem. Uh, so one of the other things we love to do is we love to play a game called Guess That Tomato. So as you may or may not know, Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores all their movies. They have two scores. They have an audience score and they have a critic score. What I like to do with my guests is I like to get them to guess the audience score for the movie that we're talking about. In this case, 2015's uh, Predestination. I'm going to let you guess and then I'm going to give you a couple hints and then we can uh, see if you want to change your guess. So what do you think, scale of 0 to 100, is the audience score for Predestination? I feel like the audience score for Predestination might be around maybe the 65-70 range. Because I just feel like a lot of people don't like time travel, movie, time travel movies as much as I do. So that's the only reason why I wouldn't really go high. So I'd maybe say like the 65-70 kind of range. 
So was I got to pick an exact 67? number. Yeah. I want to do 70, 72. 72. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give, <laughs> <laughs> give you the critic score. Uh, 110 critics rated this movie in 84. Okay. I'm also going to give you three movies that are within 2% of the audience score of this movie. So these three movies have similar audience scores, plus or minus 2%. Movie number one, The Hateful Eight. The 2015 Quentin Tarantino film, most recently brought up by Samuel L. Jackson as the strongest cinematic connection he's ever had. Movie number two, Noah. The very forgettable 2014 film where Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe, plays the biblical character Noah. Oh, God. Do you remember (laughs) that movie? I remember, and I actively chose not to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Very, Very forgettable. And then movie number three, Kick-Ass, the Matthew Vaughn comic book movie where the only superpower is Nicolas Cage convincing another studio to hire him. (laughs) So 24,000 people rated this movie. With those hints, do you want to change your guess? Yes. I would say we're going to go 83. 83. The audience score for Predestination is... 75. Oh, I was closer with my first guess. You were closer with your first I almost one. shot it. I got too cocky with it. <laughs> well, before I let you go, uh, one last thing is it's a firm believer of the owners of Don't Forget a Towel that everybody geeks out on something. While it may not be comic books and movies, it might be time travel and Ethan Hawke. So I got to ask you, what is it you are geeking out on right now? Well, one of my things I'm looking forward to in geeking out is comics. I love comics, DC comics. That's always my thing. Superman, number one. I don't care who disagrees with me. You're wrong, respectfully. But just going there. Like, I'm looking forward to the Justice League movie. I keep looking at things that are coming out about it. People who kind of say the what ifs, what's going to happen. It's all going to be wrong. We're never going to know until it's out. But (laughs) everything just kind of leading up to that is kind of what I'm super hyped at the moment about. Yeah, I mean, you got the ultimate time travel movie there with uh, the Flashpoint that hopefully will. If they pull it off, that would be amazing. We'll see. We'll see. HBO is dumping a lot of money in not only the Schneider Cut, but just the full, you know, follow-on movies and TV series and so on. So Mm -hmm. that's great. I gotta, I gotta agree with you. I'm geeking out with that as well. Um, So before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Anything? Any projects you got going on? You want people to know about? Uh, well, I'm actually a local Tampa actor, and anyone's looking for anything, you guys can check my website, juanalejandro.info. Uh, I do acting, some video work, and also starting my own photography business. So That's check me awesome. out. Yeah, look for the, the link in the description below, Juan. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Looking forward. Hey, anytime. All right. You've got Gutsy Media Podcast. Leave a message about any movies you've covered and maybe we'll add to the show. Thanks. This is Marco from Tennessee. A long-time listener, first-time caller. Love the show. Every week is fantastic. But now I'm calling about Premonition. Fantastic movie. Glad you're finally getting to it. But here's the question for you. How did Ethan Hawke not know he was fucking himself?
I don't care about the surgeries. I don't care about how the gender reassignments. He knew he was fucking himself, and he fucked himself anyway. Then he had a baby that turned out to be himself. Ain't that fucked up? Marshall out.